Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 22nd of September, 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19, and brings us a message entitled, This is Our God. In our evening services we're looking at our God. This is our God. And tonight we're turning to Genesis 22 as we think of our faithful and unchanging God. And I hope you caught that theme in the hymns and songs that we've sung this evening. We do not pick our hymns randomly, but we pick them thoughtfully and prayerfully so that we can focus our thoughts on what the hymn has to say to us. We're in Genesis 22. This is the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abram reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. So reads the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. Father, help us now through the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit to understand the things that we have read. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and to respond to the word of life. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to agree with me when I say that we live in a world of distrust and change. And just as there is distrust between nations, so there is little trust at times between individuals. And in our day and generation, we are well on the way of trusting no one. Promises often mean little or nothing, and lying has become commonplace in our society. And in the midst of the confusion that lying and distrust always brings, people look for something or someone in whom to trust. Many people tonight put their trust in the gods of man-made religions. Some others put their trust in self-proclaimed healers. I recently read of a mother who took her young son to a so-called healer in the hope of having his crippled leg straightened. She was told to take off her son's braces and never put them on again. A few weeks later, after much pain, emergency surgery was done to save the boy's leg from amputation. False teachers are on the increase, stealing the hearts of many, stealing the trust of many, and stealing the finances of many. False teachers who themselves are deceived and are deceivers. They abound. They are teachers who claim to speak with the authority of God, but in actual fact they deny the truth about Jesus Christ and his gospel. And as a result, people are kept in darkness and are ignorant about the Christ of Scripture. With lies and deception all around, who can we trust? Of course, with our Bibles open, we say tonight, the only one we can trust without reservation is God and God alone. We can trust Him tonight because of who He is. He is God. Because of His character, He cannot lie. Titus 1, 2 bears record of that. And whatever he says is characterized by absolute truth. Because of who he is, he has no ability to contradict himself. And when he makes a promise, he can't help but keep it. He never deviates from his word or his will. And because he is trustworthy, we can be sure that God will always be faithful toward all who trust in him. And that's why we can trust him no matter what happens. And though we're not immune from life's adversities, we can rely on him and on him alone. The old chorus is true, isn't it? Trust in the Lord and don't despair. 
He is a friend so true. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. And that begs a question tonight, a very important question, a very instructive question. Do you know God like that? Have you acknowledged his faithfulness on your behalf? Do you know anything tonight about God's trustworthy character? We see that in the story that we read from Genesis 22. God's faithfulness was clearly illustrated in the life of Abraham. Abraham, whose original name means Abram, grew up in a pagan environment. In Ur, an ancient Chaldean city of Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates River. It was a fertile land where the Garden of Eden was probably located. He was a descendant of Shem, one of Noah's three sons, but for many generations his family worshipped false gods. And as you unravel this chapter, as you unpack the story that emerges from this chapter, you see Abraham's travels. It's very interesting when you come to Hebrews chapter 11. Because Abraham features in that chapter along with other great people in his day and generation. People who were characterized by this common trait. Faith. Faith. The little chorus identified them. Faith is just believing what God said he will do. He will fail us never. His promises are true. And the writer, as he reflects upon Abraham, the man of faith, has this to say in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. The word that is used for no means to fix one's attention on or to put one's thoughts on. And the writer tells us that this man left for a foreign land not even putting his thoughts on where he was going. And furthermore, he had no guarantee apart from God's word that he would get there. And his pilgrimage of faith led him to forsake his birthplace, his home, his estate. He severed family ties, he left loved ones, and abandoned present security for future unsecurity. We might ask the question, why did he obey? Why did he leave? Because he knew God could be trusted. He knew that God was trustworthy. So not only do we have Abraham and his travels in Genesis 22, we have Abraham and his trusting. And when you read over those opening 13 verses, what a tremendous testimony of trust. God had already promised that Abraham's posterity would grow to the size of a nation and be his special people. God had promised that the land to which God would be bringing Abraham would be the nation's homeland. 
And God had promised that his prosperity would be a blessing to the world. But how could Abraham expect the promises to be fulfilled if he were, respond, if he were to respond to God's directive and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice? Well, Hebrews again gives the answer to that question. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, we read that Abraham, we're told, reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Isaac was as good as dead, as we would say. But Abraham knew God. And he knew that God would keep his promises somehow. Even by a miracle if necessary. You see, Abraham's faith was not a leap in the dark. It wasn't blind chance. For he had seen God's trustworthy character and integrity on display again and again. So his faith was well placed. And Abraham knew that God was faithful to his promises. He could go right back to the Garden of Eden. Not long after God created Adam and Eve, they disobeyed him. They ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and fell as did the rest of creation as a result of their disobedience. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 through one man's disobedience. Sin entered into the world and death by sin so death has rested rested upon all men and that all have sinned. And the whole earth was cursed as a result. Thorns and thistles. I'm trying to do a wee bit of work helping my son in his garden. And when I go into the garden, I wish Adam had never sinned. And I do think much of Eve as well. But all around us, we see the fruit of the fall. You don't have to say to a little one, Now, I'm going to enroll you in a school. And this school has a subject that I want you to take up. I want you to read about it. I want you to understand it. I want you to be able to cope with it. And the little one says, Mom, Dad, Gary, what, what, what subject's that? It's the subject of disobedience. You don't have to teach a child how to disobey. Stay away from that fire, you'll get burned. Smallest age, they look at you. They move. Remember, I told you, stay away. No, no. What part of no do you not understand? Where does that come from? That comes from the fall. The parents of the human race lost their fellowship with God and were exiled from the garden. And soon after that, the first murder was committed and things went rapidly downhill from then. Corruption, violence, polygamy, idolatry, incest, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, and every other kind of sin became common and increasingly worse because of the fall. And humanity became so debauched that God destroyed everyone in the face of the earth except for the eight in Noah's family. And in the generations after the flood, people continued, however, to fall from God. Yet here's the wonder of God's love. Here's the greatness of God's grace. God did not give up on humanity. 
He did not wash his hands and say, I'm finished with it. No, the very opposite. It was God's eternal plan to save his people from their sin. And Abraham was part of that plan. Abraham was secure in the eternal plan of God. Why? Because God is true to his word. God is faithful to fulfill his covenant promise. And in all the universe, only God can say, Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purpose, so it will stand. What a faithful God is ours tonight. This story reminds us not only of God's faithfulness to his promises, but it reminds us of God's unchanging character. You see, the faithfulness of God is intertwined with his immutable character. In other words, God does not change. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. And we say glory to his name. In the book of Malachi, God speaks and he says, I, the Lord, do not change. The Apostle James writes in his letter, in verse 17 of his opening chapter, the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. In human terms, change is either for the better or for the worse, yet both of these things are inconceivable to God. A.W. Pink writes as follows, God cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. Altogether, unaffected by anything outside of himself, improvement or deterioration is is impossible. He is permanently the same. And you only find that in God. And in God alone, you'll not find it in Westminster, you'll not find it in the White House, and you'll certainly not find it in Stormont. But you'll find it in the throne room of heaven. Because we have a God who is unchanging. And God's unchanging character sets him apart from everyone and everything. The heavens are subject to change. They move about following their courses. When you come to the book of the Revelation, there we are given a drastic picture of the extreme changes the heavens will undergo until fire eventually dissolves them. The stars will fall, the sun will go out, and the moon will turn into a bloody hue, and the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. The earth is also subject to change. People have been changing the face of the earth with their bulldozers and changing the atmosphere with pollution. And the book of the Revelation says that in the end times both people and plant life will die and the seas will be polluted. We know that the earth was changed once by a flood and will be changed again when it is consumed with intense heat. You know when you talk to people today about the second coming of the Lord Jesus, they laugh at you. Don't be annoyed. Be saddened for them, maybe. But don't be annoyed. Because the Apostle Peter reminds us that that's what's going to happen. 
and he says this, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Peter says by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Let me say this tonight, that God is not finished with this world. And God is not indifferent to the sinful behavior of fallen humanity. And the scoffer will say, where is the promise of his coming? God is not slack, beloved, concerning his promise. And that which he promised, he also will fulfill. The ungodly are subject to change. Unbelievers think now they're having a happy time or at least an acceptable lifestyle. But one day they will realize that an eternity without God is an awful existence. And angels are also subject to change. For some, the angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains. For judgment on that great day. And I believe those are the very demons of hell itself. And even believers change. We've got to be honest tonight, don't we? There are times when our love for Christ burned more than it's burning now. We obeyed Him. But there are other times when our hearts were cold and indifferent. I was speaking to someone on the way to the service tonight, going through a difficult time. In the danger of taking his eyes of the Lord. Because he was looking at Christians too often who were failing him and disappointing him. On the one hand, David trusted the Lord as his rock and refuge. And on the other hand, he feared his life, saying, One of these days I shall be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Everyone and everything in the universe changes except God. And so as I close tonight, I want to pose this question. What does the unchanging character of God mean to you and me? I think there's both a challenge and a comfort in this tonight. There's a comfort to those who are trusting in Christ. There's a comfort to those who have come to that place in life of realizing that in Jesus Christ we have an anchor both sure and steadfast within the veil. You see, in Genesis 22 we have a lovely picture here of Calvary. When Isaac the son Ask the question, thinking about the sacrifice, seeing all the ingredients that went in to make it up the sacrifice, he turned to his dad and asked the question that any boy of his age would ask, where is the lamb? And Abraham must have got this from God, for he said this, God himself will provide a lamb. That lamb was prophesied. 
That lamb was predicted. That lamb was typified. That lamb was clarified right through the scriptures. That lamb was identified on the banks of the Jordan when John the Baptist said, Behold, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And that lamb tonight is glorified. Old Samuel Rutherford, ministering on the Solway Firth, wrote that lovely hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. And he penned these lovely lines. The Lamb, the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Human nature can't be relied upon, but God can. And however unstable I may be, no matter, no matter how fickle my friends may prove, God never changes. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another thing tomorrow, if he were controlled by every whim who could confide in him. But praise God tonight. Praise his great name. He is ever the same. His purpose is fixed. His will is stable. His word is sure. He is the rock on which we may fix our feet. While the waves and billows roar, while everything moves around us, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promise. He cannot fail, for he is God. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. Though the mountains be shaken, and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. For my covenant of peace, says the Lord, has compassion on you. It's a comfort to all tonight who are trusting in Christ. He cannot fail, for he is God. He cannot fail. His word is true. He cannot fail. He'll see you through. Let me quote again from A.W. Pink. Here then is the rock on which we may fix our feet. While the waves and billows roar, while everything moves around us, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promise. What a mighty God. But there's a challenge to those who are still out of Christ. You see, God promises, God's promises include a salvation for all who will believe. A salvation that is eternal. A salvation that manifests His love, mercy, goodness, and grace. He's the faithful one. He's the unchanging one. He's the one on whom you can depend. He's the one whom you can trust completely. He always will be true to his word. He will keep his promise, every promise that he has made. It is no wonder that Christ himself said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. You see, it's not what I have done it's not what you have done. It's not what I am doing. 
It's not what we are doing. Augustus Toplady put it so well in his lovely hymn, Rock of Ages, when he wrote those words, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for rest. Foul I to that fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I'll die. We can trust God tonight. We can put our life in his hands. And we can rest our head on the pillow tonight. Because of the redeeming love of the Lord Jesus. Because of the shed blood of the Lamb on Calvary. And because of him, we can find acceptance with God. May the Lord help us to do that tonight, if we have never done it before. And may we grow in our faith and in our trust in God, knowing that his promises are true and trustworthy. We thank God for his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bless your great name this evening for who you are. You are the faithful one, the unchanging God, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who has revealed his power and glory in creation. The one who has revealed his passion and his grace in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Who was rich, yet for our sake became poor. That we through his poverty might be made rich. And the one who has displayed his loving kindness on yonder rugged cross at the place called Calvary. We've been singing already today, lifted up. Was he to die? It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And he who was put to death for our offences was raised again for our justification. And because he lives, we shall live also. This is the hope of many in this meeting place tonight. We pray that it may be the hope of everyone. That we will know what it is to cast ourselves upon the living God. And know him to be our refuge, our strength, our fortress. Lord, you know our hearts tonight. You know just where we are in the onward march of life. Forgive us. For even as your children, there are times when we trusted in ourselves rather than God. We relied on our limited resources and not his infinite resources. We rested on our wisdom and not his wisdom. Help us, O God, to look to you, to trust in you, And to prove that every day with Jesus, 
the sweeter the day before. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory alone. Amen.